You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Hi, I'm Sherry Davis, Canada's Dog Master and the trainer of Rex on the hit TV series Hudson and Rex. This week, a lesson in canine injury care. Welcome to How to Dog. You've probably read news stories of people doing CPR on a dog. And although that's an extreme case, there are a lot of ways that your dog might require immediate first aid. Just like people, dogs break their legs, cut their skin, and get things stuck in their throats. So you should know how to handle these emergencies, even if it only makes your dog more comfortable until you can get them to a vet, or as we'll talk about, even a chiropractor. So this week, it's all about caring for your dog when it's injured. Did you hear about the dog who bought himself a first aid kit? Why did he do that? He wanted to treat himself. <sighs> Hi everyone. A reminder that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be professional advice. Always consult with an expert when taking care of your own doggo. Over to you, Sherry. My first guest today is Heather Davis. She's the founder and the CEO of Canine Health Canada, which provides first aid training for dog owners. She's been helping people take better emergency care of their dogs for 12 years. Heather, welcome to How to Dog. Thank you, Sherry. I'm really happy to be here. Could you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Uh, my name is Heather Davis, and I am the founder and CEO of Canine Health Canada. So we are a Canadian-based organization that we have instructors all across Canada and the U.S., and we teach you how to be that first responder for your dog in the event of an emergency or a health crisis. So I'm going to start with the basics. Is there anything that people should be taking on a walk with them? You know, I'm going to put it out there right away because I've had it happen to me multiple times. My dogs are allergic to bees and I've had dogs get stung when we're out like 45 minutes away from the car. So I myself always carry Benadryl for my dogs when I'm out on a hike. And I, th I think that's an important thing, Sherry, um, before I talk about what to bring is, is just knowing your dog, because if, if you've got a dog that's got um, allergies such as yours, you definitely want to have your Benadryl or your epinephrine. Um, but pack for your dog like you would for yourself. You know, you're not going to go for a long walk without a bottle of water, at least. Uh, there's really wonderful collapsible uh, little dog bowls. They have a little carabiner, can hook onto your belt loop very easily. And just a really basic first aid kit is, is important to have, you know, have some, some gauze, some vet wrap, some polysporine, you know, just the basics to deal with some wound care in the moment. You also want to plan your route. You know, if it's a hot day, what's the temperature out? What's the pavement temperature? You know, test, test with your own hand. If you can't hold your hand on the pavement for more than five seconds, it's not the time to walk your dog. Um, have your leash with you and your collar and have your your gauze your vet wrap your um your wound cream have something to to rinse you know extra water is always important to brain because um i've seen dogs you know they'll take a fall and they put a tooth through their tongue and now you've got a lot of blood coming out of the mouth you need to be able to rinse that that mouth out so i mean definitely water is the biggest thing 
and and just some thoughtfulness about where you're going and what you're doing. Okay, so um, I've got a question for you because a lot of people ask this all the time. Um, and they're like, do dogs really overheat? Like, you know, this seems to be the new age thing, like brushing teeth and watching the temperature of pavement. So maybe you can give our listeners a little bit of um, what they should be looking for in extreme weather. Um, in terms of, of the heat, uh, absolutely dogs can overheat just like us. You know, they can get heat exhaustion, um, heat stroke hyperthermia it's uh and that's a real situation it's very dangerous you can actually your dog can end up in a coma their organs can start shutting down now obviously this is in extreme cases but it does happen we see this when dogs are locked in a in a hot car and that's one of my biggest pet peeves is you know i'll have people say oh well, i could you know i i just looked into her eyes and i couldn't bear to leave my dog at home you know i wanted to bring them you know my dog wants to be with me all the time and i'm thinking well, your dog's not going to be with you very long if if this is what you're doing because you know you're putting your dog in in an extreme situation and are there telltale signs that our owners can look for that said that that tells them that the dog is in distress yeah absolutely i mean panting is the obvious one and we all know panting is a dog's way of cooling themselves but when they start excessively panting and drooling um they could be vomiting they could be walking in circles and just almost behaving a little bit like a drunk person, um, just uh, lethargic and seeking out anywhere they can to, to cool themselves off. Now, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here because everybody says to me, um, dogs have fur coats and um, so they can stay out all winter. They they don't need to come in and they can handle the, the cold weather. So give us some input on cold weather and dogs. You know, it's it's very breed specific. You know, there are dogs absolutely that are built for the cold. I mean, you know, you look at the Husky breed and they spend a lot of time outside, but they still have shelters. Um, there's other breeds that are just not built for the cold. And anybody listening that has two different breeds of dogs, I would bet my next paycheck that one of them is great in the cold and one of them is not so great in the cold. Um, you know, they're all a little bit different, just like we are. So I would say, you know, definitely watch for signs of shivering or trembling because once you're there, your dog's already cold. It's just like us. They present the same way as we do. You know, you're cold, your body starts to shiver that's when you need to move your dog into warmer temperatures get them inside the house you know get them in your in your car if you're you know far away for a walk get them into some warmer temperatures and just like with with heat exhaustion and a hyperthermia you can put your dog in a hypothermic state where again the organs can start to shut down they basically are freezing to death uh, not to mention frostbite on the ears and frostbite on their nose or their feet you know, it's, yes, it's breed specific, but if you're cold, your dog's probably cold. Is there any um, injuries like canine emergencies that are more common than, uh, that you see as a more common thing um, than not? You know, it's funny because a lot of people think that when they think of emergency first aid, they think of immediately of trauma. You know, something big, you know, like you described at the start with a dog breaking its leg in the in the pipe. And that does happen. We do see that. But more often than not, it's the dog has ingested something 
that they shouldn't have. So they might have gotten into garbage and there was something in there that they shouldn't have. They might have been running in a field and now they got a foxtail barb up their nose, which is a dangerous situation. They might have, <clears throat> excuse me, a ball lodged in their trachea because they are an aggressive catcher. And now they've got uh, a ball in their trachea and they've got an owner that doesn't know what to do. So there's definitely a number of emergencies, but I would say that definitely ingestion of, of a foreign substance is probably the top one that we see. I'm Sherry Davis, and today on How To Dog, we're talking about primary medical care for dogs. Later in the show, I'm going to speak to Dr. Lori Berardanucci, who is an animal chiropractor, on what she and other animal chiropractors can do to help our sore dogs. That's coming up shortly. Right now, I'm speaking to Heather Davis, the CEO and founder of Canine Health Canada, which teaches courses on canine first aid. I try and stay away from dog parks, and I know people are out there right now are either honking their horns or yelling at me or bashing their <laughs> desks and saying, why do you say that, Sherry? But I say that because there have been so many times I have been to dog parks and I have seen confrontations between dogs or I'm shocked at how many people think that a dog bite, whether it's dog on dog or dog on human is okay. And it'll just heal up. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and the dog parks, we, we actually uh, have a post on our social media about that right now, which is getting a lot of, a lot of interest from people it's, I, I mean, you're a professional dog trainer, Sherry. It's not a natural state for the dog to be around that many strange dogs. And there's definitely those super social dogs out there that, you know, maybe that two to 5% that love the dog park and every other dog there and they're friendly and they've got good recall and, you know, all those boxes ticked that make it, uh, you know, a good place or a safe place for them to be. But more often than not, we do see incidents at dog parks and yeah a dog bite is dangerous you know they there's bacteria and pathogens there's you know anytime there's a puncture wound I, I always consider those to be the most dangerous wound because you don't know what is inside now so was there something on their teeth or you know is there going to be an infection does the dog have a disease that you're not aware of you know are they up to date with their vaccinations whether you are a, a vaccinator or not I'm not here to argue about that um, but you don't know what that dog's health situation is and what you've what you've as that owner of that dog exposed somebody else to yeah and you know I, I'm surprised at how many people think oh it's just a little hole but they don't realize the shape of dog's teeth and usually when a dog grabs, they give a little shake. So it might be a little hole on the outside, but inside it could have torn through muscle and membranes and tendons and like the, the inside, what is happening inside that dog could be very, very severe. Exactly. So, um, you know, I, I think, um, one thing that people should do, I mean, it's always good to flush out a wound, but I, I still think that everybody should get to a vet as soon as possible after any kind of a, a impalement into their animal. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I say flush it with some saline, warm saline solution um, immediately just to do what you can. 
if you suspect that there's something else in there, you know, like whether it's not a dog bite, if, if your dog's been running in the bush, for example, and, you know, comes out and we've seen this where it's got, you know, a branch sticking out of its body, you don't know what's left in there, leave it alone, get your dog to the vet, just stabilize it into place and get your dog to the vet. Those puncture wounds, yeah, you don't want to be messing with those. You don't know what's going on on the inside of that, like you said. Okay, I've got a question. So if my dog comes running out of the bush, um, or this happens a lot, if I've got my dog in the river and all of a sudden there's blood, the only thing I have with me is my leash and what I'm wearing. Is there any anything that you can, any any tips you could give people as to what they should do in that case? You know what? What you're wearing is precisely what you can use. You know, you, you might need your leash for control. You might need your leash for to create a temporary muzzle for your dog because even the most docile dogs, when they're hurt or afraid, um, they can be a danger to you. So, you know, you might need your leash for something else. I've seen people use a part of their shirt. I've seen women take off their bras to <laughs> use for a tourniquet. You know, emergency first aid, you know, I'm going to date myself here, but, you know, when I took my human first aid, you know, way, way back 30 years ago, you know, you, you could fail if you didn't make like that proper triangle bandage or, or, you know, and the way I look at first aid is, is you have, sometimes you just got to use what you got, you know, you just got to use what's on hand. You got to take a look around, look what you're wearing, look what you brought, what you might have in your car and make it work. And so part of the fun that we have, in, in our classes is just, you know, we'll get to a scenario and uh, we, we like to work a lot of hands-on stuff. So people get a chance to practice and build that muscle memory and, and you know, know what they're doing, right? So that, that autopilot kicks in when it needs to. But, you know, we'll just throw a bunch of stuff out and we'll say, okay, your dog's bleeding. Use what you got and make it work. So we give them the technique, but yeah, it's definitely a time where you just got to go with What's around you? Can you give any, our listeners any tips on common mistakes that they might make while administering first aid? One of the biggest things we see, Sherry, is people uh, giving their dog human medicine. And there are definitely human medicines that are safe for your dog. But, you know, we've seen dogs um, given ibuprofen. That is a very dangerous situation. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you a, a, a question here and some people are going to go, Oh my gosh. But uh, <laughs> I want to know, are there ambulances for pets? You know, not that I'm aware of. That's definitely something that I think is important. There's some individual vet offices, um, the vet emergency clinics in different cities, do have them. What I would recommend is for any of your listeners, check into your local area and see what's available. Talk to your own veterinarian and just say, hey, you know, if I can't get my dog to you, is there somebody that can come to my dog? Um, but that being said, one important thing that that I think everybody needs to know and that's something that we do include in our classes is stabilizing your dog for transport you know, is, is taking that first responder role. That, and that's what we call it when people take our classes or, or any pet first aid is you're learning to be that first responder. You're that critical step between when there's a crisis or an incident or an accident and that veterinary visit. You're that crucial step in between. So knowing 
what to do to get your dog safely to the vet if there is no such thing available, if there is no animal ambulance available to you, you are that ambulance. You know, hopefully our listeners have taken away some very, very life-saving, important tips here today. And we can't thank you enough for being with us. Absolutely. My pleasure, Sherry. And I thank you for helping us to spread the word about the importance of canine first aid. Thank you, Heather. Take care. Heather Davis is the founder and CEO of Canine Health Canada, which teaches courses on canine first aid as well as general pet health care. I'm Sherry Davis, and this is How to Dog. Today, we're talking about injury care for dogs. As a fellow dog owner, you all realize how much dogs love to go for hikes. And usually when we take a dog for a hike, we're driving to a location and then off we go. Could just be that you're going for a hike around your neighborhood. But either way, how many of you have thought about first aid before taking your dog out on that hike? Well, let me tell you, have I ever had an experience with that? I was out in one of the conservation areas went to look at the waterfall on the way back from the waterfall probably 45 minutes in on the trail and all of a sudden my dog came flying up from the water and its foot was cut wide open like wide open there was obviously broken glass they had thrown their bottles in there some kids probably partying anyhow if I didn't know what to do I don't think my dog would have been with me right now But what I did do is I took off my bra real quick, used it as a tourniquet, wrapped up my dog's foot with the rest of my bra, carried the dog all the way back out because I didn't want the pressure of the bleeding there. So I knew how to make a sling, was able to sling the dog up over me. And this is a 65 pound dog I'm talking about. We made it back to the car, got the dog stabilized, rushed to the vet, and the dog ended up in surgery. And if I hadn't have known some basic care, I don't think that dog would have been with me today. So it's really important as a responsible animal owner, whether it's a dog, cat, horse, make sure that you have some first aid training. My second guest today is Dr. Lori Bernardinucci. Dr. Lori started as a chiropractor for humans, but being an animal lover, she has become a licensed animal chiropractor. Dr. Lori, welcome to How to Dog. Hello, Sherry. Nice to be here. Dr. Lori is a very specialized doctor, and not only is she a human doctor, she is also an animal doctor. And could you tell us a little bit about what you do, Lori? I certainly can. Um, I am a human chiropractor who is also certified in animal chiropractic. And and what year did you start, Lori? Um, I've been out for 12 years now. So I've been a human chiropractor for 30 and animal chiropractic for about 12. Do dogs' bones and humans' bones, are they similar? The principle of chiropractic is very much the same, whether humans or dogs, for example. The difference lies in how many vertebrae they have, 
um, and how gravity affects that because they are quadrupeds and we are bipeds. And the angle of those joints will be different from species to species. So how I treat a horse is different than how I treat a dog. But the basic premise is the same. Okay, so I know that when you've treated me, I can go, oh, oh, that feels amazing. Thank you. But how do you know if an animal actually is benefiting or actually feels anything? Or That's a good question. Obviously, animals can't speak. But if you pay attention and you watch their body language, there are plenty of telltale signs. If you really pay attention, the signs are all there. How many car- animal chiropractors, let's say, how many animal chiropractors are registered? Do you have any idea? You know what? That's I don't know. Um, we have a course at the Veterinary Chiropractic Learning Center almost every year. And uh, there could be maybe 15 students, 15 to 25 students. Uh, some will go on to practice. Some may not. Some may go on to treat horses. Some will go on to treat dogs. Some may even go on to treat cows, which is a whole different discussion, but there are registries and you really need to find the ones that are certified. How long is the course? Like this is an intense course. It is a very uh, intense course. It is over 220 hours. There is a lot of hands-on. There is a lot of testing on horses and dogs and cats. You must be passing all the hands-on as well as academic testing. There is no way that you could be doing a weekend course and be considered a certified animal chiropractor. Also, you cannot be simply a human chiropractor who's transferring their skills to the animal domain. You have to be certified. It's so important. What kind of ailments can you treat? So it could be a sporting dog whose time is off, who is not taking their turns properly or a horse that's not getting its leads, uh, also not jumping properly. But then we can deal also with seniors who are not, who are slowing down. We can help with um, increasing their range of motion so they're more comfortable as they age. I was, I've been watching some of the sporting dogs and I was actually watching um, a fox hunt. And (laughs) I noticed that, they had the hound's legs taped up. Is this something that is is actually like, is this a thing now? They, uh, yes, there definitely is. Um, I call it Equitape. That's just the brand I use. There, uh, there are taping, kinesiology taping for dogs. Uh, the horses have been getting this done, I think, a bit more frequently. I practice a bit of both. It's just another adjunct to um, stimulating the myofascial tissue. I knew horses, but I didn't know about the dogs. Yeah, it's a little trickier with the dogs because of the hair. <laughs> but um, yes, yes, you can do it. I've got a question now. When if if we were to if I was to call you and say, listen, there's something going on with my animal. Can you come? I, I, I assume you do an assessment and then yes. you come up with some kind of a, a program. But is yes. is chiropractic something that is done like? Daily, monthly, weekly, bi-weekly, or is it depending on the animal? It depends on the animal and the situation. So if it is what we call an acute case, something where the animal is really quite uncomfortable and is having difficulties, 
I could see that animal for once a week until they start feeling better. And then I would wean them off until we get to more of what we call a maintenance schedule. And that is touching base every month or every few months to make sure it remains healthy. I'm going to go backwards here for a second. And I know we're how-to dog, but I really got to ask, how-to horses? Like, how do you, (laughs) are you on a ladder or something? Like, what are you doing to, like, you must weigh 95 pounds. You're dealing with animals that are 1,500 pounds and they've got to be way over, like, what are you, what do you do? So that, I mean, that's just a testimony about how it's really not about force. But with regards to me actually getting up above and around the horses, we use what we call a bale. It's a high-density styrofoam block covered up in a vinyl. And I actually have two because I'm so small, and I stack them on top of each other. So basically, the horse will stand there, and I work around them, above them, underneath them, to uh, set up for my adjustments. Okay, so I've got I've got another question. A lot of people want to know, are the dogs under an anesthetic when you're doing this? No. And in fact, I, I tell people not to sedate their, their horses or dogs because it's a question that comes up. I had um, some police dogs who wanted, uh, or the owners wanted their police dogs treated, but they were concerned that they might be reactive. And they asked if they could sedate them. So we do not recommend sedation because the chiropractic works almost more on a neurological level. It's not about the force. If you remember, it's biomechanical. A lot of neurological feedback is happening. Sedation will dull the the nervous system a little bit if we can simplify it. And therefore, it is not what we want for the animal when we are adjusting them. We want them to be alert and cognizant. I would rather work with a dog wearing a muzzle and take my time and work that way. Do you do house calls or do people bring their dogs to, well, obviously they're not going to bring your, their horses to your uh, <laughs> facility, but like, do you have a, a clinic where you can bring the dogs or is it all strictly on house calls? Um, my practice has changed over the years a little bit. So I, I do do mostly horses at this point. So I'm obviously traveling to barns, but what I have found is that a lot of the horse owners have dogs as well and they want to bring them to the barn and I end up treating them at the barn. I do do some house calls. I have a facility I visit once in a while where people bring their dogs for other reasons and I will treat them there. House calls uh, are possible, but because I am so busy and on the road so much, they can be difficult at this point in time. How do you find animal chiropractors? If you go through the Veterinary Chiropractic Learning Center, the VCLC, I believe there's a link to uh, previous graduates and active uh, therapists, and that will go all around Ontario. We have students coming from other provinces and even from the States. So it's a a nice little uh, place to look for someone and be confident that they have the proper certification for doing this. That's fantastic. I think animal chiropractic is still something that is kind of new, even though it's been around for a, for a bit, but there's so many people that don't know about it. And I think it's just because there's not a whole lot of certified animal chiropractors out there. I think it, it, 
it parallels just always a bit later the the human side of medicine the animal world is catching up with also introducing alternative adjunct therapy um, a whole team approach which i think is so important if we want to keep our animals living longer and healthier lives well i can't thank you enough and our how-to dog listeners certainly got their ears worth today thank you so very much Lori. You are more than welcome, Sherry. Dr. Lori Berard-Danucci is a licensed animal chiropractor in Campbellville, Ontario. I hope some of the advice about treating dogs' injuries has helped and that it gives you a bit more confidence about what to do if your dog hurts itself away from immediate professional medical attention or how to manage and prevent canine injuries long-term. Hudson and Rex returns with all new episodes this January on City TV and catch up anytime on City TV Plus, the City TV app, or at citytv.com. If you have time, please rate, review, and follow us in your podcast player of choice. And now it's time for Fun Dog Facts. sure have some funny habits and many of them relate to uh evacuation and no i don't mean from an oncoming hurricane have you ever wondered why male dogs lift their legs to pee but female dogs don't if you think it's because females are more sensible well you'd be partially right males lift their legs to go wee because it makes them appear larger to other male dogs in the area it's the canine equivalent to wearing lifts And in the number two department, you may have noticed your dog walks around in circles before deciding on the perfect spot to do its business. This isn't because they're looking for a divot in the ground or trying to find the most hygienic spot. It's because they like to line up with the Earth's magnetic field, which somehow they can detect. To this day, scientists have no idea why they do this, only that they do, or do do, in this case. How to Dog is hosted by Sherry Davis. Produced by me, Davin Langell. And me, Adam Killick. Executive producers, Christina Jennings, Scott Garvey, and Sherry Davis. Editing and mixing also by me, Adam Killick. Research by the amazing Nicole Saltz. How to Dog is a Shaftesbury podcast produced in association with Rogers Sports and Media Incorporated and part of the Frequency Podcast Network. You can find more great shows at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com. Copyright 2023, Shaftesbury.